This morning, if there is sin in our hearts and in our lives, and, and if there is something that is keeping us from you being magnified in our lives, God, we, we cast it aside, we repent of it, and we turn back towards you, fixing our eyes and our focus on you, God, and following you all the rest of the days of our lives, God. Now, God, as we're about to enter into the service, the part of the service where we are going to dig into your word, I pray, Heavenly Father, you get Jonathan out of the way. Holy Spirit, let your words of life be given here this morning. Lord, speak to us as your people. Edify us. Let us be enriched in your word, God, to the point where our roots grow deeper and deeper and stronger and stronger in you, God, so that when the storms of life come, we will not be shaken, but we will be like the tree who is firmly planted by the streams of water, trusting in you, God. When the when the storms come, when the drought comes, when whenever things come against us, Heavenly Father, we remain rooted in you. So God, let us be edified here this morning with your word. In your mighty and wonderful name we pray. Amen and amen. Now before you take your seat, if you'll do me a favor and go around and greet about four or five people, tell somebody you're happy to see them here this morning, shake their hands, hug their necks. What's going on, John? How's it going, man? Hey, it's good to see you at church, man. <clears throat> How's everybody doing this morning? Blessed. Blessed. Amen. Man, my mic is loud today. Woo. My, I don't have to yell or nothing. This is good. I hear myself clearly. Well, I want to welcome you all, especially if there's anybody here that's visiting us for the first time, or maybe you've been here a few times and you still don't consider yourself part of the home yet, I just want to welcome you, hope you feel welcomed, and more than anything, I hope um, you felt God's presence in this place when you came through those doors. Um, we, we sometimes get in the way, and yeah, go ahead and give God a hand clap of praise. Sometimes people get in the way of what God wants to do, and I pray that he is moving freely here this in this morning, um, in this church, in this building, um, that we would all be able to feel his presence and know him, right? Um, uh, we're, we're digging into uh, the part of the service where we're getting into God's word and because we've been in this series about reverence. How many of you have enjoyed this series about reverence? Yeah, I know. It, it's not, I'm not going to get the biggest reaction on that one, right? Why? Because reverence is whenever things start to become on us. But let me first set the table for you of how this has progressed and how we've gotten to this point where we're talking about reverence. So it's important for us to understand what we've been preaching throughout this year and why this falls in line with what we've been teaching. Um, we, we've been, we, we went through um, uh, Easter, right? And, and we talked about how Jesus was in our place. And, and we talked about the importance of what Jesus did on the cross through his death and resurrection, right? Um, at Easter, the love of Christ was supremely demonstrated through his sacrificial death on the cross and his victorious resurrection. Jesus willingly laid down his life to reconcile humanity to God, bearing the weight of our sins and offering forgiveness and salvation to all who believe in him. This act of selfless love shows us the depth of God's love for us and moves us to respond with reverence and awe. I'm humbled 
I am very humbled by the enormity of God's grace and mercy, especially demonstrated through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like when there was not enough to give, God gave it all in his death and resurrection. And he didn't just give it all for the world to make it impersonal for you. No, he gave it all for you. He gave it all for you. Because his love for you is so great, he gave it all for you. So if there is a lie running through your mind right now that nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, and that you feel insignificant and unvalued, let me tell you something that is a lie from the enemy because God loves you more than you know. He gave it all. Amen? And because of this love, he doesn't want to leave us alone. He doesn't want to leave us alone. The love that Christ displayed at Easter compels us to live in reverence towards God because we understand the immense price paid for our, our salvation. Then after Easter, we ran into Pentecost, right? Pentecost was after Jesus had been on earth for 40 days and he ascended into heaven. Ten days later, the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened and, and people were filled with the presence of God. God's presence was made personal to believers in the upper room. Amen? The pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon believers marked the beginning of the church's mission. The Holy Spirit empowered the disciples and the believers to boldly proclaim the gospel, leading to the conversion of thousands. This outpouring of the Spirit was a fulfillment of Jesus' promise to be with his followers always and to send a helper to guide and empower them. He sent us the Holy Spirit to empower us and to guide us. The Holy Spirit's presence in the life of every believer has a transform, transformation effect. There is a transformation effect that God is doing through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. How many of you know that God has begun to transform your life? When you surrendered your life to God, there was transformation that happened. Amen? There is transformative power with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to live in obedience to God's word. Amen? As we yield to the Holy Spirit's work within us, we are shaped into Christ's image. Becoming more loving, becoming compassionate, and reverent towards God. Amen? Now, see, there's several young people in here. And um, I've started messing around with, with that chat GPT AI stuff. And so I, I translated this to Gen Z terms. I asked it, so I copied and pasted and dropped this into it. And I said, can you make this more relatable for the young people that might be in the room so they can understand? So young people, pay attention here, okay? So don't laugh at me. You might laugh. It's okay. It says, yo, check it. Easter's like the ultimate love show from Jesus, bruh. He flexed the mad love of God by doing something insane for us. He straight up sacrificed his life to help us out and clear our slate. Jesus canceled all our wrongs, forgave us, and made it lit so we could be tight with God forever. No cap. And then after Easter, get this, fam. 
God sent his spirit to be our day one homie, vibing with us 24-7. It's like having a legit BFF always there to hype us up and keep us on the real. God's spirit gives us the juice to level up. I don't even understand some of this. Become better versions of ourselves and roll with Jesus' crew, you know? So like Easter's love and the Holy Spirit's power make us feel blessed, thankful, and high-key stoked about God. We want to show some mad respect, yo. I guess you're supposed to do this too. We'll be all about God's words, spread good vibes to others, and straight up flex how awesome he is to the world. No doubt. No doubt, right? We ain't about being disrespectful. We want to stand out, be real, and be the change. Jesus' love and the Holy Spirit's moves inspire us to level up our game and show God the love and respect he deserves, feeling all the good vibes in our souls. Amen. And all the young people said, amen. <laughs> amen. So we've been, we've been talking about this uh, reverence, right? And the importance of being reverent in God because because of God's love and what he did for us on the cross. And now that we have the Holy Spirit living in us that's guiding us, um, part of what the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us to do is to be reverent towards God. In other words, don't, don't be so disrespectful to the point where you think you are still the one on the throne of your life. God wants to be on the throne, and when he's on the throne, there is a reverence that comes with it. We're going to go to the book of Malachi this morning, and if you have your Bibles, it's the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And let me give you a little bit of backstory of Malachi so, so you understand what's happening here in the, in the book of Malachi. Malachi is happening about 100 years after people uh, of Jerusalem had been exiled by the Babylonians. They finally returned to Jerusalem, the city where the temple of Solomon had been, where King David had ruled, where King Saul had ruled, and where they had been a mighty nation at one time before. And then because of sin and disobedience and, the, and their heart turning away from God, destruction came upon them and God warned them that destruction would come upon them and but God's promise was but if you'll turn to me again I will restore you and I'll bring you back to Jerusalem and so God is living up to his promise and the people have come back to Jerusalem but they have come back with the cultures and the mixing in of, of the Babylonian culture and all these different things that they learned while they were in exile and and they have not learned to be reverent towards God yet again so they, they, they start off doing some things right, and they rebuild the temple. They rebuild the temple to God to, to do what, what was written in Moses' law and to sacrifice the sacrifices that were required to atone for their sins, to give the thanks offering they were supposed to give, to still do the practices they were supposed to practice. However, the people at that time when Malachi is writing this were doing it in an irreverent way. They were almost doing things in a way that seemed to inconvenience them. In other words, they were the people who still wanted to be on the throne of their lives, have God just bless them when they wanted to be blessed, and not really fully surrender to the will of God in their lives. 
Does that sound familiar to any of us today? Does that apply to any of us today? So I know this is Old Testament, and I know this is, this is still Old Covenant, and this is before Jesus died on the cross, but let me tell you something. Some of us today still treat God the same way that people are treating God here in the book of Malachi. And, and these people began to get irreverent towards God. And as you read through the book of Malachi, you'll begin to see it, and there is a charge for us to be reverent and honor God the way he is due. Amen? So, today, we'll dig into five different areas that we learn from the book of Malachi where people were being very irreverent to the things of God and to, to God himself. They were being irreverent. So, the first area people were being irreverent was in their worship. Their worship was irreverent and heartless. They were doing the bare minimum. They were not honoring God in any real way. Let's go to Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So these people would bring sacrifices to God's temple. And when you were to bring a sacrifice to God, you weren't supposed to bring your worst. You were supposed to bring your best, right? When you worship God, when you want to honor God, you don't want to honor God with what's left over. You want to honor God with what is best, correct? Amen? Has, has anybody's heart felt that way? Like, God, I just want to give you my best. God, I want to give you my best. I don't want to give you what's left over. I want to give you my best. Well, these people were being irreverent in their worship. Let's go Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It says, A son honors his father, and a slave honors his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It's you, priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? He says, by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifices, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Whew. All right, Jonathan, I'm, I'm hitting you now. They were bringing the bare minimum. You know what, God? Okay, you tell us to bring you a sacrifice. I do have a, a, a lamb that I can bring that's kind of jacked up. It has four eyes. It, uh, the ear is growing one way, and the wool doesn't really grow clearly. This one's really of no value to me, so let me sacrifice that to you. Okay, I mean, under, understand the weight of that. The thing that had the least value to these people was what they were giving up to God. And God's saying, you expect that to be what honors me? I'm the one that has provided you to be back in Jerusalem. I'm the one that has provided all these things to be done for you so that you can be your own people and worship me freely. And this is the way you honor me? This is the way you worship me? Their worship was irreverent towards God. 
May we be people who are always reverent in our worship towards God. May we be people who always honor God with our best. Amen? The second area they were irreverent was the attitude of their heart. The attitude of their heart was that it was a burden to come before God to offer sacrifices. They were annoyed. And we go to Malachi 1, 13. says, and you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? This is incredible. The attitude of the heart. What a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously. Like, I can't believe I have to do this. And then you take what is the least valuable item to, to God. It was a nuisance to them to go through the motions. It was a hindrance to follow God and worship him. They were annoyed, annoyed, they were annoyed by having to come before God. God saw straight to the heart. They saw worship as a hindrance to the way they really wanted to live their life. They were irreverent in their worship and with their heart. When you revere and honor the Lord the way it is due him, this is what you're moved to do. You'll worship like Mary did when she had the alabaster jar full of expensive perfume and she poured it all out on the feet of Jesus. You'll worship like that when you're reverent towards the thing of God because that had value to her. And that wasn't just a small value. That was the most valued thing she probably owned. And the thing that she owned that had the most value was what she wanted to offer to our God. And she poured it out on his feet and worshipped him and wept and worshipped him. That is reverent worship. And that is what God is looking for from us as his body of believers. Or, or like the widow who only had two small copper coins to give whenever it was time to give to the treasury at the temple. And Jesus saw her give her two small coins. And in the quantity compared to others, it was insignificant. But God saw straight to her heart and he said she's given more than anybody because she gave all that she had. There is a position that our hearts should be in when we are reverent towards God that we want to honor him with our best. Amen? When you revere and honor the Lord, you want to worship him with your best. The third area they were being irreverent towards God was in sexual immorality. If we go to Malachi chapter 2, um, now chapter 2, the first section is for, for, for not for everybody, but is specifically geared towards the priests and the people who lead the, the congregation um, in, in the services and all of that kind of thing. And he speaks specifically to them. And so trust me, whenever I went through studying the book of Malachi, I took that to heart. So know that uh, Jonathan here takes that to heart. And I understand the severity with which um, uh, God can come and judge me if I am not speaking the truth to you. Um, if I wanted to just make you feel better and not speak God's word to you, God would have serious issue with me. 
He would have serious issue with Pastor Irving. He'd have serious issue with Pastor Andrew. He'd have serious issue with, with, with uh, Pastor Avellino. And there would, like, that sounds weird. I can't say that right. That's just, that feels irreverent with my dad, right? There would be serious issue if we did not proclaim God's truth. And so I know that our culture tells us do not listen to God's truth. God's truth is irrelevant today. It's old-timey, it's old-fashioned, and it does not understand the times that we live in. But let me tell you something. God's truth remains. There is a reason why God's truth remains. It's because he designed it. He designed life. He designed your being. And he understands not only the physical makeup that's in your body, but also the mental thing that's going on in your brain. And he understands what you need and how you should live. And, and these things that he establishes is not to harm you, but it's always for your benefit. It's always for the good. Amen? So sexual immorality, Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord uh, the Lord loves by marrying women and worshiping a foreign God. Marrying women who worship a foreign God. Now, let me explain something here. God didn't want people to intermarry with people from other religions, especially um, in that era because the things they did towards God were detestable. And, and there's a part in the Bible where it says don't be unequally yoked, right? It doesn't say the color of somebody's skin. It says the religion that they carry is important, is of utmost importance. And so young people, if you're single or single people, if you're here in this room and you're looking for somebody and you want to be married and, and you want to have a family of your own and all those kinds of things, let me tell you something. Don't compromise on this one thing that God commands us to do. Find somebody that believes in God, that serves God. Don't go looking for somebody else outside of it. God says, no, that's going to be outside of the design that I've created for you, and that's going to make life very, very difficult. Find a believer. The other thing that was happening during this time that we've learned is in order for the men to go with other women, or the foreign women, they had to bow down to their gods to be in a sexual relationship with them. They had to bow down to the other gods. And they had to allow them to have idols in their own homes that worshiped the other gods. They had to allow them to practice worshiping their gods. And so these things, God is saying, that's so irreverent towards me, your God, the one true living God. How can you do these things? But their attitude towards God was, how dare you tell me who I can and cannot sleep with, God? How dare you? It's my life. Even though the context has changed from Malachi, today in the church you may find many who show irreverence to God in this area. God, who, how dare you tell me who I can and be in a relationship with, who I can and cannot be in a relationship with? How dare you tell me who I can and cannot sleep with, God? God says you've been irreverent to me in this area. The fourth area, people were being irreverent. 
was in their unfaithfulness to their wives and kids. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why is it? Um, you ask why it is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner. The wife of your marriage covenant has not the one God made you. You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife says the Lord, the God of Israel, um, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Why? Because there is a correlation here now. Did y'all see the correlation between faithfulness to your spouse and the effect it has on your offspring? Sometimes we get lost in the mindset and we think it only affects us, that the life that we live only has an impact on us or the life that we live only has an impact on me and my spouse and that's it. It stops there. The kids are resilient. They'll be fine. They'll, it's whatever, you know, that kind of thing. no. We, I am learning this week of the effects that it has on the formation of your brain whenever you experience traumatic events as a child. And divorce is one of the greatest effects on kids. And you know why this is important? Because if the enemy can do anything to keep people from knowing God, he's going to use the family to destroy their minds and see and and have them see the example that that there is no faithfulness. And so how can God be faithful to me if my parents couldn't even be faithful to each other? And it begins to affect their walk with God as well. So believe you me, whenever I say stay on guard, it is significant because there is a an evil deceiver who is out there trying to destroy our families. And if he can affect generations to come, he's going to start it with you and your spouse. In case you didn't know, there is an absolute onslaught of opposition on the family that follow God. There is an absolute onslaught on the family of people that follow God. If there is any way the enemy can destroy generations of Christ followers, it's through destroying the family. So be on guard and do not be unfaithful. When you make a covenant before God, he is a witness to the covenant and God's spirit binds you together. Amen? When this union is ripped apart, it is being irreverent to God. So what God has joined together, let no man separate. Amen? What God has joined together, let no man separate. Amen? Now, if there has been unfaithfulness, let me encourage you that all hope is not lost. 
Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Amen? It's simple. Repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repentance takes full responsibility for sin without blaming anyone or anything else. You want to know when there's been true repentance? When you stop blaming the reason for your mistake on others. You want to know when there's true repentance? A repentant heart won't minimize, justify, or manipulate away past wrongs, let alone new mistakes. One who has repented will have empathy towards the people who have been hurt by their sin and sorrow over the pain they have caused. Amen? If you don't feel sorry, there's not true repentance. And that's why sometimes we may be here in worship and we sing some songs and you just see people start crying for no reason and it's because they know the sorrow that they have brought to God. But guess what? God brings times of refreshing to us. Amen? A repentant heart does not pretend to be the victim of their own sin. They will not try to turn conversation around to make themselves out to be the one who was hurt. One who has truly repented is willing to do whatever it takes, no matter how long it takes, in order to earn back the trust that was lost as a result of sin. The true repentant does not believe they are owed anything, but sees every opportunity toward reconciliation as an act of grace that that they do not deserve. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Amen? The next area they were being irreverent towards God was in their giving. Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Actually, I'm going to go back all the way to verse 8. Let's go 8 through 12. If you got your Bible, say amen, because Sam does not have it on the slides, I don't think. Do you have it? Eight? You do? Oh, look at you, superstar. Everybody give Sam a round of applause. Yeah, yeah, she was on top of it. Thank you, Sam. Nobody gives them praise when they do good things in the back, because I'm back there a lot. The only time people look at us is when we mess up, and they're like, why is it not on the screen? Or it doesn't sound good. Nobody says, it sounded great today, right? They were being irreverent in their giving. Malachi 3, 8 through 12 says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough for us to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops 
and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is very closely aligned with chapter 1 and the worship they were bringing to God. To God. They were bringing him the, the, the unvalued items. They were bringing him the sheep and the goats that were blemished and that were blind and that were sick. And they were bringing what was not right to be reverent towards God. You know, it's not a secret that God wants to bless you. But there is an act of reverence toward God that is placed on us. God wants to bless you. God wants to protect your crops from being devoured by bugs. God wants to keep your fruit from falling before you're able to harvest it so it doesn't go to waste. God wants to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. Amen? God wants you to be a giver, in other words. God wants to bless you so much that you don't have enough room for you to keep everything that you earn and that you have so that you can give to others. Amen? And where does that start? With the position of our heart and reverence towards God and in our obedience to giving. The heart matters here. This is a matter of the heart having reverence towards God. Not giving begrudgingly because the Lord doesn't want you to give begrudgingly. The Lord doesn't want you to give the lame, the sick, the leftover. God wants you to bring him your best. And if you're going to give your best, it's going to start with your heart. Now, I can go around this room and ask for examples of how God has been faithful in demonstrating his promise to be true here when people give. Um, I, I can share a little bit of my story here. Um, 2020, COVID, was a scary time in my job. Ministry is not what I do to earn an income. I have a full-time job, and I was working for a company at the time that was not only experiencing significant um, revenue coming down, so there, there's not as much money coming in during the COVID time. Um, we were also merging our companies. And whenever there's a merger, that means two people do the same job. And guess what? Only one remains standing. And so there were massive layoffs happening at my job as well because of this merger. And then COVID piled on top of that decreased revenue. I began to worry, God, am I going to make it through? Because I was the youngest person in my position at my company. I, I was the least educated in the field. My degree is in business administration, and I work with a bunch of engineers. There were people who were in the same position of me that have MBAs. There are people in the same position of me that had master's degree, and there was one guy that had a PhD. I was the least qualified person. 
but I remain faithful in my tithing and in my giving. And in April, this is like recent shutdown. In April, they call me in and Jonathan, we want to give you a raise. But this doesn't make sense. Revenue's down. You know, no, Jonathan, you actually have been bringing in your portion and then some. We want to give you a raise. And on top of that, because you see all these layoffs, and I know you may want to jump ship and go find another job, we're going to give you a bonus just for staying employed with us. Over the next three years, we'll give you $5,000 every year that you stay with the company. Do what now? You're going to give me a retention bonus, and you're going to give me an increase in my pay when revenue is down, when there are people who are far more qualified. I'm not getting let go. You're keeping me on board. I'm the youngest person. I'm the least tenured. I'm the least educated. I'm not the person that should be staying around everybody else. I should be the first one you let go. That's an easy decision on paper to me. But God. Amen? God's promise says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vine in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. There is something to honoring God. Being reverent. I'll go on to keep telling you all the testimony. Every year since then, they've given me a pretty big raise at work. God has blessed me. He's blessed my family. And it's not anything that I've done or anything that I've earned, but it is because God is demonstrating his faithfulness and his, his ability to remain faithful to his promise. Because every paycheck, first thing that happens, have we paid tithes yet, babe? Babe, have you paid tithes yet? Have we paid tithes yet? And thank God we can do it virtually now. I can do it right away. God, I want to give you my best. I want to give you my first. I don't want to wait to see what's left over and hope I can pay out of that. No, God, I want to give you what is yours first. I want to honor you first. I put you on the throne of everything in my life first. Give unto the Lord what he is worthy of. That starts with the position of your heart. And the giving comes with a promise. Amen? And you can go around and ask the people in this room who have been faithful in their tithing and in their giving how God has blessed them throughout the years. And we will testify of his goodness. And we will speak of the things that he has done because God is worthy of our praise. Amen? The first five verses of Malachi, God establishes how much he loves us. He's not angry, but he is hurt that we would honor a parent or a master more than him. This is why we need to humble ourselves and know that if the Lord is bringing rebuke or conviction to our lives, it's because he loves us and he wants to bless us at the end. Amen? He disciplines us as his children, and he really does know what will be for our good because he designed and created us all. 
Malachi 2, 4 through 6. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Levi revered and stood in awe of the Lord with true instruction on his lips. And what did he get to experience? He walked in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Let us also revere the Lord. Amen. Let us also be people who revere the Lord. Because what that produces is life and peace. If you'll stand with me here this morning. I hope you've paid attention here today and see the importance and the significance of your heart being reverent towards God, being reverent towards God in your worship, not giving him what's left over, but bringing him your best, being reverent with the attitude of your heart, being reverent with sexual morality, being reverent by being faithful to your spouse and your children, be reverent in your giving that we too may experience life and peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning, God, thanking you for your word.